0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, So, we're going to talk about my favorite topic today, which is what is our understanding of time? Time. And uh, I've been studying time for a long time. But I particularly have been studying it the last four or five years uh, and bringing it forward in my practice, what is time. And I'm a uh, a Dogen follower. So Dogen is a 13th century Zen teacher who did a lot of reform in Zen. And he's a wonderful poet, writer. Uh, so a lot of what I'm going to talk about today comes from Dogen's understanding of time taught through Katagiri Roshi, so that I heard, you know, 20 or 30 years ago or even 40 years ago. I'm getting old when you can say those kind of time things. Um And then recently I've been studying with Shohako Okamura, who's also a Zen teacher. And um, so I'm learning a lot through others and then through uh, practicing with what they're saying. Um, I'm particularly going to work from, I wrote a chapter in this book. This is the Seeds of Virtue, Seeds of Change a collection of Zen teaching, um, and it's a collection of women Zen teachers. Um, And I have a chapter, and that's what we're going to work with tonight, uh, called Does Time Fly By? So, I'm going to read you the koan, so we're going to, work basically with the koan which is a zen story a teaching story and then from the koan we'll go into what um i'm learning about time so this is the koan it's in uh book of serenity case 21 called yunyan sweeps the ground as yunyan was sweeping the ground Dao Wu said too busy Yunyan said, You should know there's one who isn't busy. Da Wu asked, Is there a second moon? Yunyan held up the broom and said, Which moon is this? So that's the koan. <laughs> and usually you don't get the koan in the first read. Did you? <laughs> no. <right. laughs> Okay, so hopefully, if I'm a good speaker tonight, you'll have more sense of what the koan means by the end. Um, so let's just start. We'll just start with the first two sentences of the koan, which is Yun is doing a task, he's sweeping. And the teacher comes around him and says, too busy. So I can kind of get that, right? Maybe he's sweeping in a hurried way or um, he's sweeping with the whole list of to-do in his mind, you know, like we do during our days. And the teacher notices and says, too busy. And the student answers the, the teacher back you should know that there's one here who isn't busy. So I think he, he did a good answer, didn't he? That, well, I might look busy, but there's someone who isn't busy here. So let's just start. We'll start with that. The opposites of busy and not busy. And the uh, so that's really uh, a contemporary issue, right? Uh, I hear in my life I'm always saying I'm too busy, and when I talk to other people in America, that's what I hear like a mantra: "I'm too busy, I'm too busy." And that's why a lot of people come to meditation centers to learn how to slow down or to prioritize our life so we're not so busy. <laughs> God. <laughs> right? You, could, you get up in the morning and you can just go until the end. So a lot of our practice is how do we work with this human life of ours, which is very productive, which is very much about doing things and producing things and getting things done. So we have to start to learn about the one who isn't busy. So we start to study the Dharma. We start to practice so that it's easy. It's easy to know the one who is busy. It's not as easy to know the one who isn't busy. But we can get the taste of the person inside of us who isn't busy. right? You get a taste of it through sitting practice, I think. And then if you're really working hard on a mindfulness practice, you can also get a taste of what life is like when you're slowed down a bit. And Katagiri Roshi, uh, he's written a lot about this too, so some of this is coming from him. How can we take care of time without going crazy? That's a quote. So in the uh, duality, Buddhism is a non-dualistic religion, (coughs) which means we try to see the opposites as dynamically working together. So the opposites I'm working with are stillness or quiet or not being busy and activity. Busyness, um, productivity, production and non-production; those two sides have to come together in dynamism. So, one of a misunderstanding of Buddhism, I think, is one side I is right and the other side is wrong, or one side I'm attached to and the other side I hate or I'm not a good practitioner unless I'm not busy. But that's impossible, you know, because life is filled with activity. So a non-dualistic approach is really being able to see each moment as containing both things. Stillness and activity, Uh, Productivity and non-productivity, busy and not busy, are in every single moment. So that's what I'd like to unpack tonight. So I'm going to use, I'm notorious, if you've ever been at Clouds and Water, I I always have a flip chart. (laughs) And because I've given this talk quite a bit, My flip chart is now on foam core. (laughs) Okay, this is a chart that I learned a long time ago with Katagiri Roshi. And uh, essentially, it's uh, a cross. Time is up and down. And space, and I have in this being, is horizontal. And this is a famous quote from Katagiri Roshi. At the intersection of time and space, that's the truth, happening place. Right there. Is where the truth resides. At the intersection of time and space or being, when we're being fully in the moment, time and space have intersected. And I have right now, right here, which is our uh, most uh, stereotyped, is the word that came to be, but that's what you learn from the very beginning, right, when you come to Buddhism, is just uh, like that old book of Ram Dass's, from the 60s, Remember, Be Here Now. So my whole talk is from the 60s. (laughs) We have to be here now. And I always remembered that book as Be Here Now. And recently, well, not recently, five or ten years ago, I, I found the book in my bookshelf, and I saw that the actual title is Remember, Be Here Now. And that remember is very, very important. That's practice, is remembering the teaching as we're living our life. So um, time and space and right here is the truth. And in Buddhism, they say the only... I'm going to stop and emphasize this. The only reality is right here, right now. That's the only real thing. Everything else is a fantasy constructed by our minds, and that 's hard to get I was just I teach at the prisons once a month at Rush City Correctional Center, and I was just up there. And uh, the journalist for the prison newspaper was there asking the prisoners things, the inmates. And they, one of the questions was, well, how has your life changed since you've been coming to Buddhism? Once a week, we were up there. And one of our old, a guy who's been coming a long time, 10 years, he said, well, before I came to Buddhism, I... Com- I Um, I believed my mind 100%. And now I believe my mind 10%. And I thought, oh, he really is getting it. He's really getting it. So if we're not fantasizing, if we're not constructing life in our minds, the only truth, is at the intersection of time and space, right here. Where, and Dogen had a whole fascicle, a whole chapter on being time. That's what he calls this space. He calls being time, one word with a hyphen, which I consider my practice now. I guess that's what's changed in the last five years, studying time is I got very sensitive to what is constructed and what is actually happening. Constructed by my mind, that's what I mean. And staying in being time, and another word for that I think is presence. I think Vipassana people use that word quite a bit. That is my practice. It's quite simple, and quite hard to do. Now, Katagiri Roshi had another wonderful word for this intersection, and he called it the pivot of nothingness. The pivot of nothingness. So what's pivoting around in the present moment is the dynamism of the opposites, Time and space, right and wrong, busy and not busy, all the opposites spin around each other. Activity and stillness, right? That's pivoting. The world is constantly pivoting. In form is constantly moving. That's the first seal, right? Everything's changing, everything's moving. And also there's nothing solid there. It's a pivot of karma or uh, opposition. But something's pivoting, but what's right in the center? And the center is uh, not catchable. Nothing is in the center. Um, Functioning activity and then emptiness or stillness is the pivot of nothingness. So let's talk a little bit about nothingness. Uh, I'm laughing. (laughs) You know, how can you talk about nothingness? That's the joke is on us, right? And there's, if you've ever been to a Buddhist library, there are thousands And thousands of books describing nothingness, (laughs) and my library alone (laughs) is proof that we love to understand things with our minds. Right? That's what we want, but it's not what's going to happen. And this is one of the reasons why is when you start to study time, it disappears. So, we have the instruction to be in the present moment. That's right. I think that instruction is through all the Buddhist. It's not just Zen. It's not just Vipassana. It's not Tibetan. That's the instruction, to be in the present moment, in the truth-happening place where time and space intersect. But the problem is you can't catch the now. Have you ever caught it? The minute you catch it, it's not the now. And in particular, I got this from Dan Brown, who's one of my Tibetan teachers, and this was just a lovely idea. A thought, like this is the now, that's a thought, right? A thought, takes 500 to 2,000 milliseconds to conceive. So you're hearing my voice, but what's happening in your hearing and in your mind is 500 to 2,000 milliseconds after I say something. That's if you're trying to think it. So let's say you're really good at mindfulness and you're not trying to think it, you're trying to experience or be it, and nonverbal awareness is closer to the now, but it still takes seven milliseconds to perceive something. That's so interesting, isn't it? It really helps me let go of trying to understand everything and thinking that practice runs through my perceptions. The highest truth in Buddhism can't get, go, it can't get through the percept. You have to let go of your hearing, your feeling, your speaking, all of that. If you're really going to touch it, which you can't touch because it's moving constantly, um, you can't do it through your brain. And that's what I think Katagiri Roshi was trying to suggest by the pivot of nothingness. That we really can't find the now. So in Buddhism, they deconstruct time and they deconstruct I, place. And that's part of trying to figure out how to live in truth. Because if I'm holding on to myself as a solid thing, and if I'm holding on to time as a solid thing, I'm not actually in the dynamism of my life, the experience. So a lot of what I've been trying to do in my practice is to deconstruct my ideas about time and space. The other thing uh, that I like to talk about when I'm talking about time, this idea that maybe we can catch the present moment. In Buddhism, they call the present moment, well, this is uh, probably Japanese, so in Zen, they call the present moment a tanji, There's a word for the moment. And they say the moment is one sixty-seventh of a finger snap. (laughs) And I remember Katagiri Roshi, fingers snapped in the Japanese way. And I can't make the sound, but the Japanese go like that. If, If you've ever been to Japan, when they snap. I did make a little sound did you hear it yeah <laughs> but I'm better I'm better at the western way of snapping so one sixty-second of a finger snap is a moment but our minds can't catch that fast and Katagiri roshi would say it's going by at super speed he would say super speed the Um, quantum physicists, please forgive me if you're a scientist because this is as gross as it's (laughs) going to get. But what I know grossly is that they call a moment a jiffy. Has anyone heard that, a jiffy? And a jiffy is a decimal point 43 zeros and a one. That's how fast a jiffy is. And Dogen, who was 13th century, so what's that, 700 years ago? Dogen said there were 6,400,099,090 Moments, Setsunas in Japanese, moments in a day. Six billion, four hundred million, ninety-nine thousand and ninety. I always thought it was so cute that (laughs) he just didn't say six and a half billion moments in a day. He had it exactly how he thought it was. So, in each moment... The world is created and destroyed. Right? But going by at super speed. So this is, I'm getting now, who am I? My five skandhas are created and destroyed six and a half billion times a day. There's nothing to hold on to Uh, Nothing to catch. We can't understand this with our minds. Yay, right? (laughs) You know, we're so stupid, really, that I'm glad that I don't have to practice from my head. My head gets me into a lot of trouble, usually. So. So how to proceed, how to live, when the, the instruction is to be in the present moment, and then you, they tell you you can't find the present moment. <laughs> so how do we go on? How do we proceed? This is maybe my favorite diagram that I work with And it's from Okamura Roshi. He's now in Indiana. This is my... This is how I got it, kind of, what practice is. Isn't that funny uh, that I would even say that after 50 years of being in Buddhism? So this is a chart about how our Consensus reality time and timelessness or eternal time or eternity, how they come together in the present moment. How uh, the opposites co-arise. So co-arise, that's in Vipassana too, right? Uh, what does they call it? Um, interdependent co-origination is the... Long sentence. So we're talking about interdependent co-arising in this chart. In the top of the chart is the karma. Is karma how we perceive our story of our life and our sense that there is a story? And I have a story, and I can tell you it. Of course, you know, I was born in 1951 in Grand Rapids, and this, and I went to high school here, and I went there, I got married, I had two kids, I have these illnesses, so I could tell you the story. It's interesting, though, for me, is I could tell you my story, and then I could tell you my story, and they wouldn't be exactly the same. I will have changed things. So even our memories are very faulty, like with my brother's, we remember the family, all three of us, completely differently. Completely differently. So what actually happened? It's gone, right? So you don't know what actually happened. So cause and effect is what I'm calling karma or the idea that we have a story or what I just said. I was, oh, here it is. I was born a child, an adult old age and illness, and then death. And this is the the idea that we have a lifespan. These beings, the five skandhas, have a, a lifespan. Um, and it's a developmental timeline, and it's usually a linear time. Uh, you have a seed, a certain kind of a seed, like you take an apple seed, and it doesn't grow into a plum tree, right? It, grows into an apple seed. You have a certain seed. If you have the proper conditions, uh, the rain and the sun, and the conditions are right, it will turn into a specific type of tree according to the seed. It will flower, and it will fruit, and then the fruit falls off and dies. And winter comes, and it kind of looks like it's dead, And then in the spring, the whole cycle starts up again. So we know about this, right? This is what we understand as linear time. Another thing they say is um, the way we think in our ordinary... This is before we start to deconstruct time, before we start to look at Buddhist time. We think about our life that there is an actual timeline going on all the time the Romans and then what happens after Middle Ages and then the Renaissance and then this and then uh, in my lifetime I can go by the wars you know Vietnam and then this one and then this one so we have this sense that there's something out there that is a timeline and then We think, I'm saying we, but this is consensus thinking. I think that Judith Regeer birthed in 1951, and then she went with the timeline, and now I'm going to say 20 years from now, (laughs) I'm going to drop off the timeline, and then it's going to keep going. But Buddhist says there's no timeline outside of yourself. There's no timeline outside of your conception in your mind. We know this. We do know it. When we say this meeting starts at 7 o'clock, what is 7 o'clock? Right? There was a time in human history where they didn't have clocks. It's all constructed and useful. It's useful, right? We all did come at 7 o'clock and we're going to end at 8.45 and then we're going to go home. So it's very useful. But if you only understand linear time, if you only understand consensus reality, you go crazy. It's too busy. It's too hurtful. You have no refuge if you're a slave to that way of thinking about time, in my opinion. Any freedom that I have gathered has come from me deconstructing those perceptions about time. And even though, this is the hard part, even though I'm deconstructing my understanding of linear time, it doesn't obliterate karma. It doesn't stop karma. It just changes how I perceive the reality of this moment. And in this chart, we've acknowledged that the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening, that there's karma, that there's cause and effect, that things are happening in a a way you can determine if you plant an apple seed it turns into an apple tree if you take care of it with all the conditions now in buddhism we enter into and try and taste what that which is timeless that which is eternal that which drops away the form and we experience a little bit something different through meditation practice or mindfulness practice. Or sometimes you experience it when you get a great shock. Like people who have been in a near-death accident, they often say, time stopped. Or, or if you're in very deep grief... You know, a, a week can go by. You don't even know what day it is practically. So we do experience this, and we can cultivate our familiarity with beingness, with a being that is not just about linear time. So they both exist, and they co-arise. And from the Buddha, from this timeless type of time we have what we call a dharma position. This is a Dogen's term. Every moment or every condition has a dharma position, a position of the truth of the moment. And in the moment, the eternal or Buddha nature or functioning, dynamic functioning, comes up. So a baby is... Dynamic functioning, uh, a child, an eight-year-old. Every moment is supported by interdependent co-origination, by uh, interdependence or interbeing. So you have what you consider the karma of your day, but every moment is whole and complete unto itself and full of the mystery of life. This is the Dharma position or the source shooting up in every 160 second of a finger snap. So this is very different. It really helps your mindfulness that now I'm washing the dishes and that's the source itself. Now I'm looking at my email and that's the source itself. And now I'm walking the dog, and each moment going down the driveway is a dharma position. Uh, Walking on the road is a dharma position. Watching the dog do his business is a dharma position. Are you starting to get what I mean by dharma position? The source is right there in every moment, and it's irregardless of the developmental timeline. Can I take this one down? Okay. The last one. So this is similar to the first chart. Time and being or space intersect in the moment. In the pivot of nothingness. And I I wrote no time there. Because if you're actually in the moment, you're free from the concept of moment and being and person and I. But this whole thing is the now. The past creates the now. This is the karma, how the karma comes into the present moment. I call this like, it looks like a baseball, doesn't it? The past creates the now, even though the past doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. I really see that with my children. You can see the growth. Oh, my God, you can see time passing with your kids. And they're not 8 years old anymore. They're not 15. They're not six months. They are who they are right now. But everything that's happened in the past creates this present, even though the past doesn't exist anymore. The energies of the past create what happens right now. And how I take care of right now, how I react to right now, makes the future, creates the future, even though the future doesn't exist. (gasps) Gives me the willies. It's karma and source coming together in every moment. Completely not separated. Unified. The source of life and the story of our lives coming together. But it's a different sense of time. When you look at time this way, it's quite different than looking at linear time. And uh, I wrote down here, birth and death are one event. Why are they one event? Because they're 1 62nd of a finger snap. Something is born and dies very, very fast, super speed. We can't consciously catch how fast death is happening. I was going to say birth. We like to hear about birth. We don't like to hear about death. But Buddhism is about impermanence. This is what we mean by impermanence. It arises and dissolves so fast that you can't even say it arises and dissolves, right? I I like that. Um, This is from Dogen. Each moment is an individual time, even while it makes a continuous series. So actually, that's the, the, the other one. Each moment is an individual time. And sometimes uh, Dogen calls this a discontinuous time. It's not continuous. It's moment, 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 like that. Each moment is an individual time, even while it makes a continuous series, which is this way, right? It's a series. There's a series of moments that are Judith Regier, But actually, each moment is its own capsule of the complete wondrous dharma. So now I'll read some quotes from Dogen. How are we doing time wise? We're okay. So this is from the fascicle on being time, one word, being time. Do not think that time merely flies away. Do not see flying away as the only function of time. If time merely flies away, you would be separate from time. The reason you do not clearly understand the time being is that you think of time only as passing. You fail to experience the passage of being time and hear the utterance of its truth because you only learn that time is something that goes past. So we only learn about linear time, so we think it's passing us by. But we don't learn about the sourcing, that each moment is the source until we hit Uh, the teaching or Buddhism. The going and coming of life is obvious. You do not come to doubt them. So that means we don't doubt linear time that much. I know I'm going to die. I know the sun is going to rise and set. Um, I know my children now are in their mid-20s. I know that we know. We know very well, that's what he's saying. The going and coming of life is obvious. You do not come to doubt them. But even though you do not have doubts about them, that is not to say you know them. So what he's saying is you, you just acknowledge time, but you don't actually savor the moment. You don't actually know each Dharma position really intimately. So What I've been hoping to get across is that the two kinds of time in a dualistic world, there are two kinds of time. There's flowing time and stopped time. There's the stream of time and the eternal present. These are all the same kind of words, saying the same thing. There's the one who is busy and the one who isn't busy. So this koan is about learning how to understand both times, the time of cause and effect and the time of the eternal present and bringing them together. So he says, um, we'll read the koan again. As Union was sweeping the ground, Dawu said, too busy. Union said, you should know there's one who isn't busy here. Okay, so that was a good, I like that interaction. Someone says, you're totally in activity. And the other person said, well, I'm in activity, but I'm also in stillness. I'm also right here, right now. And then he goes to the second part. Is there a second moon? So we, it's obvious to us, well, I don't know if it is, but now that we've had science and we went to, what would you say, second grade science class, we know there's one moon. So he's saying, are there two moons? Are there two types of time? Are are there stream of time and stop time? Are they two different things? He's questioning, is he really getting co-arising or not? He's poking in. Are there two moons then? Do you get what I mean? Stillness and activity? Are the opposites two? And the student, he's not really a student. they are like two... Zen practitioners, the student holds up the broom that he's been using to sweep, and he says, which moon is this? Right? Ah, I just think that's a fabulous example of bringing the two together. The source of life and the activity of the moment Which moon is this? This is what's happening right now. I am sweeping. That's very Zen, isn't it, if you know about that? (laughs) Oh, and in the commentary. So when you study a Zen koan uh, classically, you get the story. Oh, you get an introduction. You get the story And then you get about three pages of commentary. And then someone else has written a poem about the koan. And then you get commentary on the poem. So in the commentary, uh, this is what was said. Good people, as you eat, boil tea, sow and sweep. And I, in in my writing, I said, well, we could change that too. Good people, as you text or email or use the vacuum cleaner or drive the car, you should recognize the one not busy. As you're in activity, you should recognize the source of life that's in the moment. Then you will realize the union of mundane reality and enlightened reality. And when I read that, when I was young, 16 or so, 16 years old, and it was just my bodhicitta, my wanting to understand, was just starting, uh, knowing that I was interested in spirituality. There was a book out called from Mircea Eliade called The Sacred and the Profane. And that book was about that every moment is sacred and ordinary together. And that's what this con is about. That if we could live our lives knowing that, we wouldn't go crazy with time. We wouldn't go crazy with our chores. We would be more integrated, I believe. So... What they say, in what Dogen said in the end about how do you live with this is, and I have three different translations because I found them all very, very good, was practice is to completely penetrate the dharma position of the moment. That's how you practice. Penetrate exhaustively each dharma position or each moment. That's one translation. The second translation is vigorously abiding in each moment. And Katagiri, I, I love this explanation from Katagiri. Practicing with full commitment to the moment leads you to that which you seek. So that's the opposite. We want something else, but the way to get to something else is to totally accept and be in the moment that's arising. It's ironic. So Dogen says that enlightenment becomes one continuous line of immediacy. I think that was one of the best uh, sentences about what enlightenment is. One continuous line of immediacy. And um, in another poem that Dogen wrote about this koan, he said, Who sweeps the ground and also sees the moon? Holding up the moon, holding up the broom like he did in the koan, her sweeping is truly not in vain. So this makes me cry in a way. When I'm only thinking of linear time, a lot of the things that I do during the day, I feel are in vain, are stupid. Or why am I spending so much time sweeping the floor? Or I don't, I brush over like Christmas is stupid when you're the person who has to do everything, you know, all the cooking and all the this. But what he's saying is, if you understand that the source is in every moment, that the mystery is in every moment, then nothing is in vain. Nothing. Dishes are mystery, and wrapping the Christmas presents are... A Dharma position, going to the grocery store, and I go up north, and everyone eats something else. Everyone has their own diet. And I, we don't have a grocery. You have to bring up all the food. So you have to bring every single person's little deal, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and in the 21st century, people have very Unusual diets. But when I'm at the store buying the detail that this one needs and the detail, if I'm in the source point, it's not done in vain. But if I'm just doing it as linear time, it feels like a waste of my life. And then you have to go back to the grocery store another time because you forgot... You know, the salt or something like that. So who sweeps the ground and also sees the moon? Who does their chores and also sees the source? Then none of your chores are in vain. Everything is an expression of the dharma. And there's lots of reflections. Reflections are like the prism of the diamond. So uh, one of Dogen's images for enlightenment is in every drop, every drop of dew, you can see the reflection of the moon. So we can talk now about what I said. If you have a comment or a question. I'll just say for myself that as I've matured and begun to understand that every moment is the source, is creation, I really feel finally that I'm getting some freedom from samsara. That this has been a breakthrough experience for me, happening over a long period of time. Do
1: you think it's possible to go just directly for the eternal? Like if you, if you, uh, if you spend a lot of time oh, if you spend a lot of time, like trying not to be in the conceptual mind, but in more of an embodied uh, sort of sensing place, um, that that you could just put yourself more in the position of the timeless.
0: So, from my perspective, what you said is very dualistic. That I prefer the timeless. And I don't want to be in my karmic life. And I totally get it, because the way I came to Buddhism was, get me out of here. <laughs> I want to transcend who I am, and the story, and how much work I have to do, and blah, 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 blah. Right? And you said I could have peace and I can transcend my life and that's what I want. So for a long time I did Buddhism like that. And of course my teacher didn't like it very much, but he, he allowed me to be who I was, Katagiri. Um, but now I see that they actually don't exist apart from each other. There is no eternal time except through the moment. It doesn't exist. There's no place to go. And even, let's say you go to forest refuge for three months and you're sitting quietly and you enter into a very timeless uh, jhana or s- some state, but even within that, it's co-arising. Because you're still, you're in a body, you're still, legs are crossed. Someone else is making your breakfast and then you stop and have to go eat breakfast. So it's not at all separated. It's, that's what I meant by the pivot of nothingness. They have to go together. And what I found in this kind of breakthrough I'm having is when I accept that, a lot to do with acceptance right when I accept that I actually accept myself more and I accept what my life is my karma and I start to see my karma not as personally whether I like it or don't like it I just start to see it as the source itself that that even though, I'm going to admit to you, I don't really like my personality very much. You know, I don't like my history. That's why I wanted to be a spiritual person. I wanted to get away. But what I understand is, actually, there's no getting away <laughs> until para-nirvana, until you actually die. Your personality, I've refined it. Yes, I'm not as crazy. I'm, I'm a more refined person now. I'm a happier. Uh, but I still am who I am. And I still have the same issues, even though they're toned down. I think age just tones them down. But I've also been working very hard. So I've toned them down. But now that I have this new look, I totally accept who I am. And that is freedom. You can like me, or you can not like me. We like you. I never had that before. You can test it. (laughs) There's a few people who know me for 20 or 30 years, and you can testify that, wow, she's accepting herself because I am none other than the mystery itself. And if I can hold on to that, then everything is a wonderful human life and I say a wonderful human life, that includes terrorism and includes death and includes people dying and includes your children not doing what you want them to do. It's all of those things, but you see it in a different eye. You see it differently. Yes. What, what is your um, explanation to me of scientists exp- uh, saying what, how much time a, a satellite gets or a, not a satellite, oh, yeah. a rocket gets to Mars and beyond and finding the edge of the universe. But, what is your explanation? Is that just a conjecture? Well, I think oddly scientists and Buddhists are starting to come together that it's unfathomable What is the light? uh, The theory of light. It's really super speed. It's it's very similar, but Buddhists have to. We have to have a large capacity for paradox because we're saying that the world is non-dual. So in order to understand non-duality, it's very paradoxical. And the paradox that we've been working with is the paradox of personal karma, our story, and also our Buddhahood. It's a paradox. And you have to just accept it, that they're dynamically working together. So the time, that they're projecting into the future how long it'll be, but in a way, they're, all, they're just trying to explain the unknowable. Is that what you're saying? I really don't know how to answer you. Okay. Um, rational science is the study very careful study of cause and effect. Very minutely studying it. But what happens as they get more and more minute is they find nothingness. That's what the quantum physics has said. So even I think that would happen with time. But there is a practical you know if the spaceship can go this amount of time and this this amount of distance and this amount of time it will take so on. Yeah. i mean they can figure it out with formulas but the formulas are part of the samsaric world are part of the form world but i think in the end you can't understand it in the end yeah.
2: Thank you very much for sharing um, this piece about the, the freedom in between the past and the and the future. The stories, I get stuck in those, you know, and I and I seek that when you when you, you know, I feel that, but I spend a lot of time in the stories. I don't know if you can elaborate or right. use anything, you know, and and I want that, you know, but I I forget. So I don't know if there's something that makes it easier to say, you know.
0: So I believe that I'm very into the three bases of Buddhism, which is concentration, wisdom, and ethical behavior. Okay. Those are what they call the three bases of the Eightfold Path. For me my answer to what you're saying is if you continue to cultivate concentration, it's kind of a. It's. I hate to use the word power because people just go nutty about power and magical powers and things. I'm not talking about magical powers, but I'm talking about the ability to place your mind where you want it to be, which you cultivate through concentration, through meditation, and mindfulness. So what happens to me is now that I'm more able to sustain awareness, do you get what I mean? Sustain awareness, I'm more able to be concentrated, I can notice when I'm in the story. And then I can reel myself back in like a fishing pole and say, That's a story you're making up. And right, when we futurize, how often does that actually happen? Uh, 2% of the time what you're worrying about actually happens? You know? So because I have strengthened my concentration, I'm able to notice when my mind is off in a story and reel it back in and come back to what I'm actually doing. And that requires, if you are, even though I said you can't find the present moment, if you're living in the present moment, this is very radical, very radical. Because we're used to, as human beings, we're used to trying to control the future. So the outcome comes out like we want it to. So in order to actually live in the present moment, you have to cultivate a tremendous amount of trust that the universe is working, that cause and effect is working, that what you do now, if you plant virtuous seeds in this moment, your future will have more, Wholesome, positive aspects. So that's how I practice. I really do practice like that. When my mind has gone off into the future, and I'm a really melancholic person, I love to think about the sadness of the world. I just don't let myself do that anymore. I notice when I'm doing it and I say, do you take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha? Yes, I do. So come back and give this talk even though I have to say I'm always afraid to give a talk. But I just don't go there. I just, (laughs) bring it back. (laughs) You. <laughs> I bring it back. That's my practice. You know, practice is simple. It really is simple. You just have to cultivate your strength to do it. And I have to say, if you practice for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you cultivate it. You do, don't you think? Yes. It. So... You can develop it. However, every moment in the development is the mystery itself. That helps me. Who's next? Someone got it.
1: Um, I have all my life, uh, well, not all my life, but you know, in the recent part of my life, kind of uh, had a study of... My son, um, by living with him, if I may speak about you, but so many things you're talking about, I see in Amandla. Um He will work. He can, he can do a job endlessly. Just be happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, undoing twisties from a balloon. Go one way? No, go the other way. No, it didn't work. Go the other way. You know, it's just, I mean, really enjoying it. Do you want help? No, no. Great. Um, And uh, also about stories, it's a little different. Um, And that is that Amala has many stories. And uh, I get the sense that he has lived them, does live them. Um, They're useful. And... uh, it's just, you know, I I oftentimes wonder how time is to you comparatively, you know? And uh he doesn't he doesn't move fast, he just moves. So anyway, it's it's really fascinating to learn from that aspect too and I think it's moved me forward uh in kind of learning what seeing in front of my face what seems like now practice.
0: Mm-hmm. So anyway. Thank you. Very fun. For sharing. Yes. I don't know if this is working or not anymore. Um, but another way, although it's I, I, I don't know your situation, but um, often they say uh, an enlightened mind is a childlike mind, mm-hmm. fresh and open to what is happening.
3: my name is uh i'm, I'm Mangla. i i i <coughs> i i am thinking about like it's a, about like like i do share with you and i i do i do speak like to suffer and, and yeah yeah learning myself again like like, uh, in mine like, in mindless, I, to think something, how I get, uh, sometime sometimes I get, sometimes I get to BC, I had to get myself, I had to get on BC, in my brain, in my brain, in my heart, and that's how I think a apart the family they make the people is uh they make how to make people be like unhappy unhappy and you you and i think about about Like in my heart. And I feel. I feel in my heart. Mm. Now. And I think about my heart. I want to feel happy. And loving. Loving and kindness. And walking. I practice walking. Shave And. I how i how I practice and how I learn:
0: I like what you're saying. You said a lot about how to practice from the heart and and the mind and practicing walking and practicing, noticing happiness. Those are all the essential practices, really. So did you have something you wanted to say? A question or yes. Thank you.
2: Uh, my name is is Lyndon. And I I think we're almost out of time here. I, I mostly I'd just like to thank you. The charts were helpful to me. Um I haven't practiced for twenty or thirty years. And um I've been, I got a book at the Library of um, the poet, yeah. and, who was quite a devotee of um, Dojin, And I didn't know that that had kind of disappeared for 400 years or something. And anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go off on a tangent, but um, I have been suffering. That's how I ended up here, just like you, or ended up coming to buddhism not on a winning streak as they say um in particular lately my significant loss one of my stepsons was killed violently and uh, a few weeks ago and um Mm. the thing i'm so grateful about this community and about these teachings um It's grounding for me. It's not always... I wouldn't say it's comforting or now I feel better. It's just to be able to be with whatever... um, I can't avoid that. I can't get out of this grief. I can't snap my fingers and make it go away. It's kind of complicated, you know? But... And I've been hiding out in my house, you know? It's like I wasn't even going to come tonight, but... I'm so grateful that I have this place to come to. I see familiar faces. And um, it's so grounding to step out of time. Because I'm looking at my son's life and going, it was so short, you know. Mm. He fell off this linear thing. But there's something grounding in going, well, no, He, he was a part of the eternal now. And I got to share with him and learn from each other and you know there's something really grounding about the teachings that I it's good medicine and um, that's more than I intended to say but I hope I guess you know what I mean right (laughs) Mm -hmm. so with that thank you very much
0: this talk like all programs at Common Ground is offered freely in the spirit of generosity to learn more about Common Ground and its programs Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.